Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 350 on Tuesday, the 1st of September, 2020. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where the podcast quietly drifts past yet another milestone, we'll be talking about how patriotism can be quickly punted into touch in business. We'll ask if green will mean go for more EV sales. And Alan gets to talk about France a lot. But first, a bit of follow-up. And the news that, well, we discussed this a few months ago, the possibility. But Ineos has now submitted a official binding offer, apparently, to purchase Daimler's smart plants in France, which would then mean that the Bridgend and Portugal plants would no longer be required because they'll just do it all in the one spot. Mm-hmm. Not great for Bridgend. Or Portugal, no. I have to say. And it's amazing how all the patriotic marketing hullabaloo changes when... Mm-hmm. Yes, British vehicle built in Britain or something, right? From a right? purely business point of view, taking over that plant makes a lot more sense than having two separate and stitching them together somewhere. Yes. But, <laughs> but. on the back of the marketing and all the all the noise, it's not a great start. It's the worst optics ever. Really, and it just and ah, oh. yes. Meanwhile, in other follow up, it's Gungate, and it turns out that before he'd actually been fully evicted uh, from Nissan, there is a high probability that one of Nissan's senior vice presidents was having a good rifle through Carlos Ghosn's email. There is a possibility. That's, I said there was. Did I not say you said that? A high probability. I, oh, I'm sorry. A high possibility. Well, that's still. There's still some. I think we need a lot more because I'll I'll chip in in a minute when you go through this. <laughs> yes. So it, it is a bit okay. I agree that this is a little bit far fetched because it could. I it sounds a bit far fetched. So anyway, the story goes that one of Nissan's senior vice presidents, a chap called Harry Nader, who worked directly under Carlos Ghosn and uh, Hiroto Saikawa, who at the time was the Nissan CEO, hired a French cybersecurity company called Wavestone to run a pen test on the Nissan networks. According to this story on the drive, according to Bloomberg, who obtained a copy of the report containing the pen test results, one of the key objectives identified would be to see if it was possible to reach Carlos Ghosn's email accounts and that Wavestone achieved that. Mm -hmm. All that has proven is that it would be possible to access Carlos Ghosn's email things. Now, I'm inclined to say that if i were running a a pen test or if i asked for a pen test to be run on organization making sure that people anyone couldn't access the ceo's email is very very important yes okay so to me there is a strong school of thought that would say that that's a perfectly reasonable and normal thing to want to check as part of a pen test absolutely Having is that why you were going to go? This. Well, there's that, but there's other surmises that are made throughout this 
article, which I, I do recommend you go and read, by the way. It, it's an interesting read, but just be aware that you do need a good... You do need to understand what a pen test is and what how these things operate, because it harps on about how no one knew that it was going on. That is the That's whole rubbish. point of a pen test. Sorry. Is so few people are to know about it, because you are testing all your systems to see if anybody stops naughty people doing naughty things and part of mm-hmm. that is not by is is to definitely not say to a few key people just just be warned have a little word with your team be on the lookout in the next week or so okay yeah. say no more say no more because we've been involved in them personally have been involved where companies have done that yes <laughs> and that is silly i'm going to oh i stopped myself there but it is silly to do that yes. you do not actually get your value for money so yes. the the fact that carlos Ghosn wouldn't know about this totally understandable the fact that the it team wouldn't know about this again completely understandable the problem comes in where there is a crossover of timelines because nada was cooperating with authorities at the time this happened but there is yes. no suggestion to say that he has taken data or asked Wave, uh, Waveform was it? Wave. Uh, I've no lost it. So I've scrolled past it. Uh, Wavestone. Wavestone to actually take stuff off Carlos Ghosn's accounts and mm-hmm. put them somewhere. Yeah. So just just to be, they are pushing the realms of possibility a lot in this article. It would be very mm-hmm. convenient if this, you know, it would it would be nice if you're thinking that the inside man brought Nissan and Carlos going down, then this would be a very nice little way to make that happen. But I'm not sure this is the way that it has happened. Hmm. It seems they're also able to gain access to several critical segments of Nissan's networks, including one that housed the vehicle production system and another that contained plans for future models. Oops. Although I have once, uh, I have actually held, I think everybody that was involved is left now. I was once in a meeting in the mainframe room of Nissan factory in Sunderland. It was sorely disappointing. I was expecting something like Tron or big lights and, you know, tapes going back and forth, uh, like the Italian job or something. And actually all there was, was just like this tower PC case, just kind of sitting in the corner and a little table where we held our meeting because all the other meeting rooms were full. <laughs> well, all the meeting rooms were full. I didn't touch anything. Oh, you didn't do Ocean's Eleven where you put a little <laughs> no. access, remote access to the network on a, on a cable by distracting everyone. Yeah, you, saying, yes, I'll have coffee. You'll need to go out and get me some, please. Uh, amazingly not. <laughs> if you've ever been to the Nissan factory, you'll know that you, you don't touch the coffee. Okay. <laughs> Right, moving on to another factory in this country, and it is the Mini factory in Oxford. There will be a reduction in the agency staff of about 400, according to the BBC News article. This is all down to the fact that there has been a fall in uh, demand for the vehicles. Added on top of this is that there will be a very small number of uh, mini employees that will be offered redundancy stroke and or early retirement as well mm-hmm. i think we're going to see more and more of this across the uh, across the industry until there is a sustained up 
tick in buying. Let's remember, though, that with agency staff, that's one of the reasons these people are agency staff. Mm -hmm. This happens all the time. Every time shift patterns change in not just car factories and large factories, then this is what happens. There's sort of agency staff are let go. And then you never guess what, in two or three months' time, once the shifts get tweaked again, then they rehire agency staff. We had this conversation when there was the JLR one, wasn't there? Yeah. We've had this conversation about JLR, um, and I just wanted to repeat it yep. just to make sure that the, the people had, had heard it, really. No, absolutely. Um, this is something that happens. Yeah, this is not a oh no, mini are shutting down type thing. This is just a normal... Yeah. They build this into their plans. That And, and as Alan says, that's why agency stuff are there. It's it's like having some capacity to, to shift things around, both mm -hmm. upwards and downwards. Absolutely. I and mean, they're probably on short-term contracts anyway. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's just the way it's meant to be. Talking of demand, though, Alan, possibly, maybe. Again, it's, it's, it's one of these things that's almost follow-up. Uh, we talked about it before that the government's considering introducing green-tabbed number plates for EVs. And it turns out that today, for, as we record this 1st September, which is the day the 70 plate number plates come out, that as Nissan dealers are going to, to, to be trialling it uh, on Leafs. Mm. I mean, basically, all that happens is that instead of the GB or the EU bit at the front of your number plate, you get a green bit, and that's it. You've got a number plate with a green bit on. But this is seen or being suggested that it's a trial for the government introducing green bits on plates later in the year. I don't understand the whole point of any of it, so it's, like it's bloody stupid. I think they've just got early access from what I can see, because it's definitely coming in. So just Nissan have got early access. I'm not convinced that this this is actually going to encourage people to buy EVs. It's some very ham-fisted, Caldini, social proof type argument that, oh, you've got a green license. I want a green license plate too. Please give me one. Uh, I, I think the uh, explaining the economic and ecological benefits, if that is suitable for a potential buyer, is the way to encourage people to buy them. Yeah, you can always tell EVs anyway, because they've always got blue bits on the outside of them. Yes, or they used to look like melted soap. <laughs> <laughs> there is that, yes. <laughs> They're getting better now. <laughs> they are a bit. They are a bit. Well, yes, mostly. Diesel yes. and the, recalls. This is actually quite a big one and it's yeah. quietly come through actually i think but the eu has seemingly granted itself powers <laughs> across europe to able recall to vehicles and um, revoke their roadworthiness certifications now the, the reason that this is such a big thing though is that this was one of the criticisms over the way that countries handled dieselgate and that it was that all different countries dealt with it differently. Yes. And so this is a way of essentially consolidating that response. So the countries turn around and go to the EU, what are you going to do about this? And they go, nothing. We don't have anything. that We, we can't do anything about this. And you do whatever you want. And so they're like, mm. and so some it's gone, well, Germany, it's gone all the different states and, and all that kind of thing. But there was no real recall as such that could be done it was down to different countries as to whether or not they were going to do something about it if anything at all and so this is a way that should this happen in the future the eu is able to say no 
car manufacturer, you must do this or your car will cease to be legal across the EU. Yep. Yeah, that's quite... Um, I, I understand why, but it is quite wide-ranging powers mm-hmm. for the EU over... I mean, if you were of a particular mindset about the EU, this just feeds your concerns dramatically, doesn't it? And again, That's I'm, all right. You can buy a British-built off-road vehicle. Oh, no, wait, no, you can't do that. <laughs> Whilst I get it, I am surprised that they've gone down this route instead of trying to harmonise how the national authorities deal with it. This is a big deal, but it's also the door the door being closed after the horse is oh, yeah. not just bolted, but well down well down the road. Mm. The commission will also start conducting vehicle checks. It's invested seven million euros in two testing labs, etc., etc., etc. But they've also demanded that uh, national authorities are checking up on vehicles, a certain amount of vehicles that are already on the road, to make sure that none of them that have been sold previously from all manufacturers are gaming any systems the manufacturers will probably quite like that well hopefully it draws a line underneath chipping it yeah uh as you know it draws a line underneath the suspicion that they are because Mm. as we said at the start of dieselgate the the presumption was well everybody does it yeah and a few others seem to have been pinpointed for similar-ish type things Mm -hmm. uh, but not necessarily all of it we're walking some fun uh some some fun legally tightropes on this show, aren't oh, we? Oh, well, you know, if it's 350 episodes, you've got to do something exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on with the excitement. Ha-ha. A story that the Scottish government is giving indicative timelines for introducing low emission zones. We will not spend a lot of time on this, given last week's low emission zone hell. <laughs> but the LES leadership group which includes Transport Secretary, Climate Change Secretary Rosanna Cunningham. So there you go. If you've ever heard of her, you'll know just how great this is going to be. Uh, and representatives from the councils of uh, Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee, Aberdeen, Public Health Scotland, and SEPA, which is the Scottish Environmental Protection Agency, uh, have agreed the timeline to introduce low emission zones in Scotland's four largest cities. From February 22 to May 22. Yeah. So they obviously feel that life will be back to close enough what it was pre-lockdown to require. Does this involve me men talking about Scottish politics? No. They probably believe they probably believe that, that they'll be independent by then, uh, which is of course the great fantasy uh, the great dream solution dream. to every single problem. <laughs> yes, it does seem to be, yes. Panacea, that's the word uh, I'm looking yeah. for. Yes, the great panacea. So goodness knows. It's a Scottish government. Uh, they don't really have a clue. I think that's pretty fair to say. Let's just see. It's not a well, they do point out that due to the unprecedented impact of the COVID 19 outbreak, both now and in the future, it is not a finalized timetable for introduce, introduction. It's a commitment by all partners to work as quickly as they can to introduce low emission zones at the earliest juncture. They've given some dates. I think that's the best we can say on that. Yep. And move on. Yep. Cheers to Dan Puddicombe for that one. Yes, thank you, Daniel. Moving on to the fact that DVSA's online booking flat platform has a little smidgen of a problem with the number of people <laughs> looking to book practical tests, driving tests. What has happened is they are releasing small numbers of slots, um, taking into account whether you had to have your previous test cancelled 
or whether you are a new applicant and they are only releasing certain uh, small segments of these blocks depending on which version which party you are from at a at certain amounts of time so people get like two weeks to uh, to try and book for and they all jump on at exactly the same time to try and get it done and that causes the system to crash uh, and just an overwhelm issue is is the problem for them there they are working hard to make sure this doesn't happen anymore uh, but good luck if you are trying to get your practical test yes exactly but other interesting news related to lockdown and to do with driving licenses and that is that the driving license and entitlements have been extended by 11 months this is from the date of expiry on your license by the way just to make that clear because there was already a seven month extension but they've now upped it if you're not sure about that, then supposedly you can actually check your driving license information online mm-hmm. if you know some of these things. You will need your driving license number, your national insurance number, and the postcode from your driving license. And that seems to be working quite well at the minute. Yeah, uh, and this is covering licenses that have, uh, expire between the 1st of February this year and the 31st of December. And I can, can tell you that it does seem to be working, yes, that that nobody has broken that particular that particular website. Yeah. So that's hot off the press as well. One of those sad things when you know your um, national insurance number off by heart. <laughs> our first of our quick trips to France this evening. <laughs> without quarantine or with it? <laughs> uh, mercifully without. I'm prepared to risk it for my next trip. Though. Yes, today the city of Nantes in uh, Western France has announced that it's actually going to impose a 30 kilometer an hour speed limit almost everywhere in the city the aim being to reduce noise and pollution and of course to improve safety major bus routes are not affected it will remain at 50 kilometers an hour and they're also introducing a few uh, really busy areas that are going to be 20 yes and pedestrian only areas uh, will only be accessible to vehicles if they're making a delivery or a public transport service, which doesn't surprise me. And they've installed 10 temporary cycle lanes, so they're fairly going at it. 80% of that city, the city is going to be 30 kilometers now. Mm. Uh, there was a fantastic quotation here somewhere. I'm sorry. It's uh, Richard Gouraud, president and of artisan and local shopkeeper union Unicord, said, said, and this is the most French quotation ever it just says people will probably be grumpy about the change but i do not think it will significantly affect trade we'll need visible signs and to ensure that cyclists stay civil <laughs> i also hope it does not create big traffic jams so yeah everyone's going to moan but they'll just get on with it really yeah uh, naturally the local opposition party thinks it's terrible we're going to have to have a map constantly to know how fast we're allowed to go Yes. And there'll have to be signposts and things, which is pretty ruddy obvious, really, isn't it? Yeah, quite. I didn't realise that there was a city that went down this route in 2016. Mm. There's a couple of others that are looking to do it um, soonish, aren't there? But again, if you have a comprehensive public transport system, it shouldn't be an issue. No. Centre Dijon, for example, is um, you really wouldn't want to drive in it. Most of it's pedestrianised, but there's a really good public transport system of of trams and oh goodness knows they dug up most of the city to put in trams and bus and trolley buses and all sorts of stuff like that so it shouldn't be an issue yeah right i'm going to take us to the pub now uh, and specifically Good green old. king's pubs 
And the news that they intend to have 900 premises with charging stations by the end of 2020. Now, I'm not sure how far they are along with that, but that seems quite a lot out of the 2,700 they have. Mm -hmm. Um, But as we said, when we were doing our charging around Britain, which you reminded me we did three years ago, almost exactly. (laughs) Well, right at the minute, we we should have been tonight. At this point... Yeah, what's that? Five past nine. I think we just finished our curry in Fort William. Ah, yes. And we were and we were hitting the A eighty two. You were driving uh, the A eighty two to to Glasgow, where we arrived about eleven o'clock at night, if I remember rightly. Uh, later than that, it was probably like it was probably most of our nights were later than that. So yeah, yeah, that's what we were doing. Yeah, but but we said pubs, restaurants, coffee franchises for coffee hmm. are perfect places for it. People stop in twenty minutes to an hour top up their batteries and move on uh, and i just think it is it, it it's another way to entice people into these premises in, in my opinion yeah. it's just it's uh pretty much a no-brainer if, if the companies can afford to do it tell you what if they sell decent coffee and possibly a you know an offer a small piece of cake or whatever is is purchasable as well you're onto a winner yes especially with uh, so many working from home who perhaps may not want to work from home but just don't want to work in an office <laughs> yes Yes, wish to escape. Yeah. Well, that's about the end of the first part. It is. And uh, yes. And so we, we mentioned earlier, you noticed it's it's show 350 this week. Next week marks five years of the motoring podcast, which is terrifying. I'm so chuffed and also incredibly terrified. We, we made a quick joke earlier on, on on Twitter, and it was genuinely meant as a joke about how useless we are at actually marking any of these. And as a result, two people then chimed in and offered us and offered us prizes for a competition. So we're running a competition this week and next. Yes. Everyone. <laughs> I actually realized I've written the question and everything, but not actually told anyone how to get in touch with us. So I'll have to make that up at the end. As I said, we all know that you love a good competition. So when we're offered a prize, to give you, we just snapped it up. When we were offered two, we almost bit people's hands off. The winner of this competition will be the happy recipient of a Lego McLaren 720S from the Speed Champions range. This kit is suitable for ages 7 to 14 and includes a McLaren designer stroke racing driver minifigure because you often get car designers and racing drivers mixed up. The race-ready, buildable McLaren 720S features a minifigure cockpit, wheels with rubber tyres and authentic details. The design studio has a desk and assorted elements including a lamp, coffee mug, original design sketch and printed 3D miniature version of the 720S. This also includes the racing driver's helmet accessory element. This allows you to (laughs) role-play... As a McLaren supercar designer and racing driver. So draw on draw on Thursday, race on Saturday. <laughs> that's it, yes. Yes, that's how that's 3D printing, that is. The run-up will receive a copy of James Ruppert's new book, Bangonomics Rebooted, in which the wizard of used car buying compares and contrasts buying a new car with running a used one and how you should go about beating the depreciation system and enjoying no-nonsense motoring in the new millennium. Massive thanks to Phil Huff, who's at Front Seat Phil on Twitter for donating the McLaren, and to James Ruppert, who's at Bangonomics on Twitter, uh, and who also has the free car mag for donating the prizes. The question is, after all of that, you've never forgotten this was a competition, haven't you? 
How many pieces are there in the McLaren 720S Speed Champions Lego set? Now, the best way to answer is via the feedback form on our website at motoringpodcast.com. And if you put competition in the subject line, then that will work its way to the correct inbox. So remember, the question is, how many pieces are there in the McLaren 720S Speed Champions Lego set? We'll be announcing the winners on the show that will be recorded on the 15th of September. So we need your responses by lunchtime on the 15th of September. Okay. Does that work? Yep, that's fine. That should be lunchtime for most of the world. That's British summertime lunchtime. Yeah, just get them in before it. All right. Don't leave it till the last it's second. Till 1 p.m. British summertime. Okay. That, it's, it's that, that's going to get us out, out, of, out of trouble, I think. 1 p.m. British summertime. It is a game of skill because there's a question. That makes us legal, doesn't it? Why wouldn't we be legal? Because otherwise it's gambling if it's just some... No, because that involves money, doesn't it? I don't know. Anyway, I think we've covered all the bases. So people can't complain. Yes. No, it's fabulous that we got those prizes. Yes. Thank you. So thanks, Phil. Uh, thanks, James. Yes, uh, absolutely. Again. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening, contributing, especially to patrons, just helping. You all know who you are, I hope. Um, I, 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 but if you're not sure if it's you, then it probably is. Um, so just thank you uh, for help, support, listeners, etc. There we go. Is that me done, the sort of bumbling British yep, thanks I think that's, that is perfectly yeah, cool. podcasty. <laughs> and I've added a nice uh, nice overhead to Andrew's editing for tomorrow as he gets out, as he removes some of the ums and ahs in there. Yep, some of them. <sighs> anyway, speaking of competitions, uh, you've got the Formula E competition this week. So tell me, BMW, good drivers, what's happening? Yeah, this is something that had sort of slipped me by until I read this article that was on the race from Sam Smith. And he asked the question, why does BMW keep losing Formula E drivers? And not only just losing some drivers, but they're losing drivers with quite a bit of talent. As as he puts in one point, to fritter away one talent might be deemed careless, but three or four is surely just wasteful. And uh, it, it's a really interesting article, picking up on the point that Sims has, has gone to Mahindra. But Sims has not fallen out with BMW, so there's there's something there's not something not well in BMW's Formula E team in how it's handling things. But it also goes on to discuss how how close a team the Mahindra one is, and how and mm-hmm. whilst acknowledging it's a massive cliche these days, but family is it's such a big thing in that Mahindra team that people feel really welcome and wanted and valued and he's just wondering whether that's part of the point for it Uh, but I think with Mahindra because we we said this last week didn't we that Mahindra had a stinker last season but they are going to be looking after their own technology now they've invested heavily in new research facilities and stuff and they've got someone like Sims on board I really think they will be up the pointy end next year. Mm-hmm. I confidently think they will be. Yeah, I think this season's going to have been a been a, a unfortunate blip for them. Yeah, but yeah, it's a weird one with BMW. I just don't don't get it. Yeah, it's just it's it's odd. It's not like they're a bad team either. No, 
No, that's the thing. It's just there's so, just something personal wise, personality wise, and dealing with different yeah. people just isn't working, is it? Well, that's what it looks like. That's that's what it looks like. Right, France again. Yes, it's just Drink. worth mentioning. I know that none of us are in France, really. Well, not many of us are in France. Uh, then just worth mentioning the Tour Auto uh, is on at the moment. It normally happens much much earlier in the year, but it didn't. And if you happen to be in certain parts of France uh, where the, the tour passes, then, you know, there is still the ability to go and see the cars at Parc Fermé in a couple of places to actually see them when they're out sort of lapping some of the circuits they visit uh, as they tour the country. There's no point in telling you about today because that's all past. Uh, but if you are listening to this first thing in the morning and you are near the Circuit de Charade, then from 8.30 to 1 p.m. local time, it'll be possible to go along and see the cars at the circuit for free. Parc Fermé from half past four till 9 p.m. tomorrow evening is in the Parc des Expositions in Limoges. So if you happen to be there buying some crockery, uh, then 10 euros will let you in to see the cars there. On Thursday, if you're in Toulouse, on the Esplanade Georges Valéry, I think, Vallery. Then from quarter past four till nine o'clock, you'll be able to go visit there. Friday, the Circuit de l'Edenon. And then later on in the Parc Fermé at the Pont du Gard and the, the Parking Rive Gauche. Again, that's, uh, that's from between four o'clock and 10 o'clock at night. And on Saturday, if you're at the Circuit Paul Ricard, uh, way down south, then from three o'clock until seven o'clock for 10 euros, you'll be able to visit the Parc Fermé at the, the Zone Cutting. Uh, you can also follow what's happening at Tour Auto, that's T-O-U-R-A-U-T-O, uh, on Twitter as well. And they've got um, sort of frongly tweeting, so you don't have to speak French for all of them. And Twitter translates anyhow. So if you want to follow where car, what's gone out, and just see pictures of cool classic cars in France, then that's a good way of doing it right at the moment. It's yep. one of these things I keep meaning to go and see them at the Grand Palais each year, and I never quite get that far. I can never normally find a good excuse to be at corporate. And of course, this year it's all special. Right. Talking of things that are going to be going on, there is a mm. another Revs. Revs Refueled and Ready, this time September the 12th and 13th. So that's coming up. Uh, and this is obviously the brainchild of Adam Gompertz, who has held, is it two previously? I believe too, yeah. Yeah, via the Facebook page, where it's basically brought in to just help people stay connected in the mm -hmm. classic car scene. When there was lockdown and there was no chance of using your car and you were sat at home alone and all the rest of it. I think it's a, it's been a great idea. And if you've enjoyed it, of course, they are at the same time raising money for uh, Mission Most Sport too so if you've enjoyed it and you feel that uh, a couple of quids worth of time and enjoyment has been had by the you know, as a result of watching the people people being interviewed or giving tours of their garages or any of these things then do sling a few quid mission motorsports direction mm -hmm. absolutely um so it's going to start 9 30 on saturday the 12th there's going to be a new feature uh, which will be a talking heads feature where people will have submitted 60 second videos explaining how they've used their classic in lockdown what they've how they've been supporting or felt supported by the community and all the rest of it so um, and what they're looking forward to doing or have done uh, post lockdown with adventure wise mm -hmm. Again, I just think it's great. And what's what is excellent to see is Revs Limiter has been recognised. 
It's been uh, nominated for the or in the category of Lockdown Initiative 2020 at the Historic Motoring Awards. And Reverend Adam Gumpertz is also getting a nod in the Classic Car Ambassador of the Year class. So he's been nominated for that. Good. So I really hope he wins both those. Me too. Me too, because it's, it's, he's done a cracking job and organised some fantastic stuff. Yeah, to so, to put you. something on, let alone doing it online, is not easy. And he's got a, a great bunch of people involved who prepared to give up their time to do these things. So, yeah, I hope I hope he gets recognised for it. So don't forget 12th, 13th September. Mm-hmm. Right, Alan, can you take us back to France that we haven't been to for at least two minutes? <laughs> no, a bit more than that. It's getting on for five. Uh, yes, uh, once again to La Belle France. Yeah, this is a, a lunchtime read. And it, it's sort of, and it's lunchtime read because it's not a list of the week, really. It just doesn't doesn't fit as a list. So this is a load of, it's a lot of photographs of cars which have been abandoned across France in sort of quite scenic areas, really. And, and they're just unusual and they're, just i don't know there's a certain way that vehicles in the past have been maybe left to rot in corners of french fields or orchards and sort of semi forgotten about and they're they're there and and some of them are too far gone to become artisanal artisanal sausage vans or whatever and some of them have just ended up in trouble in in weird places so do have a look through it is kind of pretty it is kind of sad some of them are really quite rare actually here it's also amazing how quickly nature takes over again yes yes that's true very true but our list of the week also comes from autocar and uh andrew frankel who's making his second appearance in two weeks on on our podcast how dare he keep making good stuff but this is uh his list where he is suggesting the 50 cars to drive at least once. And I've been through the list, and I shockingly have only driven five. Nine. But some of them are not cars that it's easy to to get hold of to drive. Mm. Was there any particular favourite that you've driven or you want to drive? Particular one I want to drive will be the Lotus Esprit Sport 300. There are so many there that I would that are so close to that, but I love that shape and I I just really really want cuz it didn't help that there was wheelie dealers one was where they had that was on the telly recently where they had the, <laughs> I just think the shape is fantastic and I think it it obviously carried on far longer than it should have done. And all the rest of it, when you compare it to some of the stuff, some of the companies and cars that had much more mm. investment and things, but I, I, oh, I just, I would love to find out what it's like. Yeah. What about you? Any? Well, given that you chose the one I was going to, yeah. it's not often we do that. No, it isn't. I've just always really liked Lotus Three, uh, the Honda Integra Type R. Okay, yeah. It's uh yeah, it's just a really cool looking car. I've just always really liked them. I really liked the idea of them. Never even sat in one, let alone driven it. Mm. And there you go. There's me choosing a Honda Type R, by the way. I think everyone should really note that that was the case. <laughs> Especially Honda. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> right, fly me to the moon, Mr. Bradley. Oh, gee, that's not <laughs> 
Up among the stars. So we've this this one could have been in the follow up. Uh, we talked before that Toyota and uh, JAXA, the a Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency, have working together on a vehicle, a a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle uh, for use on the moon, um, a manned pressurized lunar rover, even. And so what they've announced this week is that they have named it. Now. I wonder how un, how predictable this was. This was incredibly predictable. It's the Lunar Cruiser. That sounds familiar. What are, what are, what are they playing with there? I don't know. You see, I don't I don't know, but I think Moon Cruiser would have been cooler. But I suppose yes. I don't know because it sounds better. Lunar has too many syllables. Hmm. But I imagine that that got rejected because there's lots of other moons uh, places. Whereas this is the our moon. The latest renderings, by the way, they look very close to the vehicles that are used in Armageddon when they land on that asteroid. <laughs> they keep, rem- you know, they keep reminding me. Yeah, cross cross with an FJ Cruiser. <laughs> they actually remind me of those little uh, the little star starship, aren't they? The um, the little six six or eight wheeled robots that you see going around Milton Keynes and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was trying to explain those to someone else recently. So when are they? When are they going to? It's going to be. They're expected to go up in the later half of the 2020s. So towards the end of the decade, they're expecting to go up and use it. Hmm. Mm, interesting. It's still quite cool. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we can get back on the moon, that's that would be a good thing. I think so. It's all right. We'll be in Mars before then. <clears throat> yeah. With our <clears throat> with our brain implants. With our brain implants. Yes. Yes. Mm. Oh dear. Mm-hmm. Glad we don't have a medical podcast. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Shall we move on? Yeah. What about parish notes? I think it's probably best that we move on. (laughs) Zoom Zoomers. Uh, So this week's is out. Connor Tomies was was the guest this week, and he was there from right near the beginning. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. There weren't many of us, and the language was a bit fresher than it normally is, which was fun. Neil was on it as well, wasn't he? No, he wasn't in the end. Oh, okay. sweet. Uh, but Rich Gooding was back. Oh, cool. So that's something to look forward to. Out to review, possibly if you're brave, on um, on YouTube. Uh, same again next Monday, and then after that, it's going to jump to being the first Monday of every month because people are getting busy again. Mm-hmm. It's just life, the universe, and everything. Special edition. There will be a special edition out on Friday. Not sure which one it will be. But as long we, as everything goes well tomorrow night. We'll be able to record at least one tomorrow night, yes. Yeah. And those that will be a car review one. First one of those in yes. a while. Looking forward to that, actually. Uh, so am I. So am I. Some good stuff to talk about, actually. So that's about all for us this week, Andrew. I think there is. Just maybe possibly reminding people about the competition. I was about to. You're so slick. It's like we've done 350 of these shows before. <laughs> You'd think so, yeah. You'd think it would be better than this, wouldn't you? No, uh, they've heard you... us. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, so, yes, don't forget about the competition that I mentioned earlier. If you need that, scroll back to where Guilt Minute normally is and listen to it again. Don't forget as well between now and next week you can give us any feedback and share your thoughts for the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities please don't forget about our various support options if you go to motoringpodcast.com support and if you can leave a review and rating on apple 
podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way for folk to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to get in touch with you personally and maybe pick your brains about going to France, what is the best way for them to do that? You can do that on Twitter where I'm at AJP Bradley. That's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. As we say, we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.